0: Leaders, especially right now in the midst of uncertainty, need to be clear. And I'm going to come back in a second and say a little bit more about what that means. But the other four, leaders need to be flexible. Leaders need to be transparent. They need to be with their people and their people need to know that they're with them. And then finally, leaders need to be steady. And to bring those, those five things in into great uncertainty is to really help to steady the ship. Um, but any one of those is missing and, and you're going to have some challenges when you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty.
1: Welcome to the HR l and podcast with your host Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment, specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies and the values and behaviours that drive organisational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking and achieve significant HR success.
2: Welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tim Spiker, who's the founder of the Aperio and the Who Not What Principle, which is a profound research-based principle that's powered him to over 15 years of leadership development success. Now, Tim's book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, has revealed that 77% of leadership effectiveness comes from who a leader is and not what they do. So during this podcast, we explore this research in detail to discover what it takes to not just become, but also be and remain a leader who is actually worth following. Tim's work has involved creating unique and customised learning experiences for clients across the globe. He supported them and guided individuals along long-term development journeys, and he's worked with leadership teams in North America, Australia, and Asia. He currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife and four children, and I think you will agree after listening to this episode that when it comes to leadership, Tim is talented, passionate, and his revelations just make sense. I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Here we go. I would love to kick this podcast off by asking you, what it is you think that really makes an exceptional leader? And then we're going to break that down as we go through the podcast. But if you could sum up in your word, what makes an exceptional leader, what would that be?
0: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for thanks for having me here. Really excited to get a chance to talk with you and, and share some things with your audience. Uh, you know, I think the story of effective leadership has really been been muddled for quite a while and people are trying to figure out what are the best ways to do things but what i found is as you begin to kind of peel back uh the pages and kind of help people see the juicy center of what's there people intuitively understand it and so uh i'm sure we'll talk about the research a little bit but if you can just remember one short phrase You'll be you'll be hitting the bullseye on three quarters of leadership, and that leader that phrase is who, not what, because what we found in research is that just over three quarters—if you want to be technical—the the number is seventy-seven percent—is that seventy-seven percent of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. And so, as we look at leadership development in our own lives or in organizations, the question has to be asked. Am I investing in becoming a more well-developed human being? Because that will make me a much more effective leader.
2: Fantastic. Well, that's a great start to this podcast. And for those that are regular listeners, you'll know that something I'm passionate about, particularly for the future, is developing leadership skills within both the HR and payroll professions. Because I think they often people are promoted through Technical ability, which is fantastic, but I don't think there's enough training and development taking place at the minute of really pushing through leadership skills. And of course, you are founder of the Aperio, which is, I believe, is a Latin word meaning to uncover, lay bare, and yes. make clear. You got Thanks. it. There we go. I've done my research. Nice
0: job. You have done your research, Nick. Good job.
2: <laughs> and I know that your business helps individuals and organizations to lead better. And that's really important for the industries that this podcast represents. So when they do, I know that. Net, you know, science and, and studies show that the net results and bottom line profits improve when they're led by better leaders and leadership is, is stronger so how does your organization help leaders and organizations to to really understand leadership to find those those hidden truths within leadership and and what can you do or what does your organization do to really help leaders so they can become better
0: well, the first thing that we do is we help them understand the research behind the numbers that we were just talking about. It sounds like maybe a couple of people got into a room one day and said, oh, I think it's about three quarters. Who you are is about three quarters. That's not the case. There's there's research behind that that we can talk about in detail. And so our, our first goal is to help people understand that as we go down this road, it is backed up by science. It's backed up by numbers. It's backed up by calculations. But ultimately, when people talk about leadership and they talk about their experiences, they don't tend to talk about numbers. They, they've all got some some really good or some really bad stories. And so, you know, at that point, once we begin to kind of integrate both the research and our anecdotal experiences We have to help them go into, well, when you say who, what does that mean? Because that can mean a lot of different things. And so our job as an organization with the clients that we work with is to do a deep dive and help them understand exactly what who is and how we can actually grow and develop in that even in our later years as leaders in organizations.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. And obviously, it's yourself that came up with the who, not what principle. Would that be correct?
0: Yeah, that would be that would be correct. Of course, there were research partners that are involved along the way. Um, but when the light bulb came on, <laughs> uh, that one day when it did, um, it, it that's when it, that kind of idea of who not what sprang to life. So um, there was a there was a moment, and, and we can talk about that. We can dive deeper in in what do we mean by who, where wherever you'd like to go next.
2: Yeah, let's, let's start. Let's, let's take it back a little bit. Let's um, tell listen a little bit then about your background, Tim, and, and, and how you came to come about the, the who, not what principle and what's driven that. Because I know there's, you've got a lot of things that listeners can really take away from this and there's some things that people can apply right away. And I'd love to get to that a little bit later because people love steps they can you know come away from this podcast and immediately implement. But to give it some context, tell us a little bit then about your background and how you came about to, to discover this who, not what principle.
0: So one of the things that people I get to work with are a little bit surprised about somebody who works in the leadership space is what my background actually is. And from an educational standpoint, I am an electrical engineer. That's not normal for people that edge up, end up in the, in the development and leadership development space. But what I, what I share with people is that the world is a safer place because I'm not a practicing engineer. Yeah. And <laughs> that's that. it's absolutely true. But that engineering comes into play in terms of how do we look at something that feels maybe as squishy and as complex as who a person is. And so that structured problem solving has really come into play with this work where you take that engineering perspective, but use it to apply and understand a principle like who not what. what. So how it all began is I was working for a boutique consultancy and working in their leadership development practice And we would bring leaders up to the west side of Pikes Peak, which is in Colorado here in the United States. And for a week at a time, we would put them through a series of assessments and evaluations and experiences. And we had three different assessments that we used. And we started getting questions about what's the magic formula? Is there a magic mix of personality, natural ability? And you combine those things and they give you a a better than average chance of being a more effective leader. And we had enough data to run the numbers. So my colleague Vanessa Kylie, she took all of the data that we had, put it into the SPSS software and and had it do its thing. And I remember being in her office that night and like, "Hey, what did we find? Where are the correlations?" And here's what she said. Nothing. <laughs> there was no <laughs> correlation. There was okay. there was nothing to share because there was no connection between personality, natural ability and leadership performance. And I turned to go out of her office. And she said, but we did find a correlation somewhere else. And this is the part of the story where I I love that uh, statistical software will look for correlations in places where you weren't intending to, because if it didn't do that, we never would have made this discovery. But she said, here's what we found. The numbers are showing that in our leadership assessment, forget about personality, forget about natural ability, but in our leadership assessment, we have eight areas of leadership that we measure and two of them are driving just under 70% of the variability in the assessment and if you just think about a just think about a pizza split up into eight wedges any two wedges should be a quarter of that pizza so any two aspects of leadership should have been worth 25% but it was almost 70% and so we knew there was something to dig into Years later, Vanessa ran the ran the research again, and that number had gone from just under 70% to 77%. And so it wasn't until three years after I left the firm. I sometimes, you know, things are really obvious in the rearview mirror, but at the time, uh, you don't really see them. And so we knew something was significant. We knew it was important, but we weren't sure exactly how to articulate it. So that day, three years later, I was working for another co- I even left the consulting firm at that point. And I'm looking at our leadership model on my whiteboard, and just the light bulb went on, that those two areas that were accounting for 77% of the variability on the leadership assessment, they were different than the other six. Those two were about who you are as a person, and the other six were about what you do as a leader. And that's when it all began to click. Oh, three-quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do.
2: Great. What an amazing story. So can you talk to us a little bit more than about what those two things were? I'm intrigued now. You've drawn me in. I want to know what those, <laughs> those who bits are. So tell me a little bit about well, what those good. two elements were.
0: Good. Good. So those two pieces are labeled inwardly sound and others focused. Inwardly sound and others focused. And there's a lot of detail that we can talk about when you just, but you can just take it at, at that surface level and say, what does it mean to be a sound person? What does it mean to be somebody who's not thrown off by challenges easy? What does it mean to be somebody who people can consistently count on in terms of how you manage yourself, how you react emotionally? What does it mean to be somebody who's got a a clearly defined purpose and an overall level of, of health kind of in the whole of who they are? What does it mean to be somebody who is secure in who they are? I mean, many of us have had the the painful experience of following insecure leaders. And they just create all types of dangerous shrapnel around them. So those are the things that I to- that we talk about in terms of what does it mean to be inwardly sound? It means to be somebody who is stable, who is sane, you can count on them. Uh, think about a rock uh, that you can build something solid on. Others focused gets into the idea that while the leader might be grounded, Uh, But why is is she or why is he showing up at work every day? Are they showing up to satisfy their own ego? Are they showing up just to get the next promotion or feed their own bank account? Or are they showing up to lead for the sake of the people that they're leading, for the sake of others? And when we dig into the, the realities around that, you find ideas like being attentive to others, being curious, empathic, humble, emotionally mature. And a, and a Greek word, agapone, which is this perpetual state of regard for others, regardless of how they behave, which doesn't mean there aren't consequences. It just means I commit to treating other people well, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. And so you put those things into a bucket. That's what we talk about when we mean others focus. And it turns out that when we follow inwardly sound and others focused leaders, we are following somebody that we have a deep level of trust. They are trustworthy. When people are trustworthy, the connection point to engagement ultimately drives performance and results. So that's something that we call the arc of leadership. You go from being inwardly sound and others focused to being more trustworthy, to having more engaged followers, to producing better results. And that's why the
2: who not what principle exists. I'm now intrigued to know if it's, if it's if great leaders need to be inwardly sound and others focused, can you tell me if that's something that I can learn? Is that something that's inherent or can I become more inwardly sound and others focused?
0: Yes. So this is probably the number one question we get. So we don't get a lot of people who push back on the research because so many people have the anecdotal stories that match exactly up with it. But this is the question. If I'm you know, uh, upper level manager, and I'm 45 years old, or I'm 55 years old, or I'm a senior executive, or can I even, can I grow and develop? I mean, didn't all that get settled out when I was 28? And the answer is that's a fallacy. Um, research has shown that we can grow and develop in who we are later in life. Uh, there's There's been some mistaken understanding as people have looked at research around the formative years, and they drew a conclusion that wasn't there. Yes, the formative years provide great opportunity, but it doesn't taper off to nothing uh, by the time you hit 30. And so it is possible to dig in. Now, I will say this as a caveat. You can grow and develop in who you are in these places inwardly sound and others focused. You can do that later on in life, but the question is, will you or won't you? Because it's hard work. <laughs> sure. It's not a lot easy. A of people
2: are going to be resistant to change, right? Especially, and most people, let's be honest, when we self-reflect, it's hard to admit to ourselves that we could be better. We like to think of ourselves as already giving 100%. So how could I possibly be a better leader? I'm doing everything I can. So tell if, I, if you're a leader listening to this podcast right now, whether you're an HR leader, you're a payroll manager, you're, you're leading sometimes huge teams of, of you know, Dozens and dozens of people, and you're suddenly listening to this, and a little light bulb has gone off, and you're going, you know what? I want to be a better leader, but I don't want to admit that to the 80 people I'm managing because that's going to show potential weakness. Maybe that's a good or bad thing, but I do want to get better. But I'm also I'm so busy I don't have time to change or whatever the objection might be. How can I take this on? I I, I agree with it. I I can totally believe the logic because I think trust is absolutely critical to any successful leadership role. And if that's the foundation of it, that makes sense to me as a, as a, as a podcast host. Hopefully it does to the listeners as well. But how can I then become more inwardly sound and more others focused while still not, I guess, risking the day-to-day management role that I already have? Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, I, I'd say two things to that. First, I would say start small. And second, and I'll explain that in a second. And second, I would say, find some people that you can be transparent with. Maybe you don't feel like you can be transparent with the folks that you work with day to day. But are there other people? I mean, you've got peers that don't work in your organization. Imagine if four of you, we tend to work, uh, even when we work with executive teams, we split them into groups of four. Imagine you found three friends and you said, hey, we all want to be the best leaders we can be. Can we create a, a, a space of psychological safety? Some of your listeners may have heard that term before. Can we create a space? where we can be transparent, where I can say, you know what, I looked in the mirror at this part of of who I am and it wasn't the prettiest thing that I saw. If I can be, you know, to find a few people that you can travel with who will not just tell you the cheery news all the time, but who also care about you, frankly. I mean, it's great to find people who you can be transparent with and if that can't happen within the place where you work well then go find them outside of work so we really encourage traveling buddies if i could put it that way we, we talk about this development being a journey uh, but i said i would mention i would explain the start small comment some of this work is extremely hard but it's also not always really complicated uh, sometimes it can be simple and hard at the same time and i'll give you an example we work we work with executives, middle managers, and frontline leaders around the idea of being curious, curious being a part of what does it mean to be others focused. And one of the ideas that we share with them is very simple. It was shared with, shared with me by uh, a friend and colleague, Dr. Mary Shippey, and it changed my life the day so that she shared it with me. And, and now we use it in our practice, and that's this idea, this simple phrase of tell me more about that. What happens when you say to somebody, tell me more about that? I would say in 95% of my experiences, when I've said, tell me more about that, I've learned something that I didn't know. Now, it might not be 180 degrees from what I was guessing the answer might be. It might be just five degrees off, but it allows me to understand that person, understand their ideas, understand their perspective, understand their background. It allows me to understand people better. And there's two things that happen for us as leaders. Number one, now we have better information by which to make decisions. Number two, when we take interest in others, guess what it does to the relationship? It makes the relationship better, which then feeds the freer flow of information in organizations and a lot less of that really inefficient stuff that comes in whenever relationships aren't healthy. So that's just a small example of how somebody could start small, get some folks around you where you can have some open conversation. And if the four of you just said, hey, in the next 90 days, We each commit to using the phrase, tell me more about that a hundred times. And then, you know, you're checking in with each other weekly, maybe via, via email or maybe you hop on a Zoom call once a month and you catch up. Then you help each other stay with it and you would be amazed at what happens with a simple act of saying, I'm going to use the phrase, tell me more about that.
2: No, I have actually loved that principle. and I'll tell you why. There's a reason I can use it in my own day to day. So I'm a, a recruitment consultant and, and owner as well as a podcast host. Right. And one thing I teach my consultants, the truth to getting to good interviews isn't just asking what we would call tertiary questions. You need to ask four levels of question, which is kind of the same principle. You would ask one question, then you are kind of ask the question. So tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And you keep going until you get to the grains and the granular level of detail that you really want because that's where you find the truths. And people have so many pre-prepared answers, particularly interviews, (laughs) that when you keep pushing them... That's when you start to see the real personality and the real truth of an of achievement or, or lack of, depending on which way you're going. But I love that because it's something we, we call it sort of four tiers of questioning. But yeah, it's it's the same principle of continually saying, well, tell me more about that. Tell me more about that. And how did you achieve it? And how did you do that? So, yeah, I, I can totally understand how that can work. And if you're if you're using that for your own personality and your own traits, I can imagine that being incredibly powerful.
0: Yeah, it it is. It is.
2: So. Tell the listeners something that they can do then. Bring it back a little bit. So I know that we're going to talk a little bit more about the inwardly sound that would leave uh, others focus principle a bit later on. So I would like to bring it back to the who, not what principle just for a moment. I know that there there are some elements that listeners can do straight away to apply. So if if, if you're listening to this now and you've got the first action already is to get a small group, work on the tell me more about that principle, which is great. That's the first takeaway. As a second takeaway, what can listeners do to immediately start applying the who, not what principle?
0: So do you want to do you want to go into something on the inwardly sound side or the others focus side?
2: Ah, well I didn't know there were two sides. So I will let you I will let you lead the journey. All right,
0: let's go with um, let's go with something on the inwardly sound side because you know curious lands on the others focus. So we've covered one of those already. So let's take a look at the idea of being self aware. Now Tasha Yurick had her research has suggested that 10 to 15% of leaders are actually self-aware, which should scare the garbage out of all of us. (laughs) Because what happens, especially as you ascend in organizations, there's a lot more risk for people to tell you the truth about you. Because as you ascend in an organization, you have more and more power and you have the opportunity to negatively impact somebody's career. So it's kind of like, You know, the emperor doesn't have any clothes on, but let's not tell the emperor because um, I want to be protective of my career. And and so it really becomes the anomaly, unfortunately, when leaders are self-aware, because generally another thing that happens as they ascend, they also grow in confidence in their own opinions. And sometimes that confidence is not well founded, (laughs) Um, And so there we are. Well, of course, I'm the senior executive VP of blah, 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 blah. Well, of course, I know what I'm talking about, except you're really disconnected from the people that you're leading because you're the senior executive VP of (laughs) blah, blah, blah. And so there's a whole cycle there that naturally pushes against effective leadership in a really significant way. And what that means is if you want to be self-aware, then you have to be very intentional as a leader. You are not going to wander your way into self-awareness because people stop telling you the truth. And, and you could be mad at them about that if you want, but you know what? When, when you were lower in the organization, you did the same thing. <laughs> and it, it's, it's not necessarily even conscious. It's that we get more guarded as people have more power. So it becomes absolutely critical If you want to be a self-aware leader, which will make you more inwardly sound, is that you've got to throw open those gates with people, and you won't be able to do it just once because they won't believe you the first time. You have to make it okay for them to bring critical feedback, and you have to display that over and over and over again. As a leader, I'm telling you, please don't make this mistake. I'm begging you, do not shoot the messenger. If you shoot the messenger, especially if they're giving you feedback about how you're doing, they will never come back again. And it won't be just them because the word's going to get out. And and the person who shared with you the feedback about you that wasn't particularly flattering and then you got defensive or dismissive, they're going to tell all their peers, hey, don't bother there's no reason in taking the risk. So there are some, There are some. again, some of these things are not rocket science, but they're still hard to do. So they're simple, but difficult. A way to move into greater self-awareness is to go to people. And again, this might take more than once because you're warming them up. If you've never done this before, they're going to wonder what's the angle, what's, what's about to happen. But if you went to even just three people, who are around you and they frankly they don't even have to be direct reports you could even go to a family member i've challenged some people what if you were to involve a spouse in this exercise that i'm about to tell you about and it gets real then but here's the question it's just two very simple questions what is it that i'm currently doing that needs to stop needs to change or could be better what is it that i'm currently doing that needs to stop needs to change or could be better the other question is what am i currently doing That I need to continue to do that's working really well. And you send, you you give those questions to people in advance. Don't surprise them with them because you want them to have time to think about it. You you don't want the knee-jerk answer. You want a well-considered answer. And you say, hey, I am trying to become the best leader I can be. Part of that is being inwardly sound, and part of that is being self-aware. So I'm asking for your help, I'm asking you to help me be self-aware. So would you answer these questions? And then can we sit down at lunch and talk about it? And then you have three, four, five of those conversations. And just make that a part of your life where every six months and don't necessarily have to poll the same people, but you you create it as a norm that people can, to the best of their ability, tell you the truth about you. Now you have to listen. <laughs> you know, If they give you good feedback and you ignore it, you're going to create a problem for yourself. But the first step in being able to do anything about it is to understand what is actually going on. And none of us can do that if we're only in our own head all the time. So self awareness is really critical to be inwardly sound. And one of the simple ways you can do that is just ask those two simple questions of people around you and then just have a knee-to-knee, eyeball-to-eyeball conversation about it. Do not be defensive. Do not be dismissive. Those will kill any future feedback.
2: I think that is really, really powerful stuff. I genuinely believe anyone listening to this, if they are like, oh, I am right now listening to your response, it's hard not to to start imagining circumstances where you could use those two questions. Certainly, I know we don't, I, I'm very happy asking the second question to my wife. What do you want me to do more of? I think that's fine. Doing well. <laughs> it's the first question that frightens me, but you're right, you know, because there will be things and it's, you don't want to ask because you don't want the answer. But ultimately, if, if I ask it, it's going to improve the relationship that we have. That's, that's, that's a given. And to be a better leader, you need good relationships. You need trust. So really powerful. And I'm sure everyone else listening to this is thinking something along similar lines. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, that second question is really important, Nick, if I could jump, if I could jump in just because some people want to talk about the improvement question, but they want to skip past the, what do I need to keep doing? And I just want you to imagine like a a pie chart that's a hundred percent, you know, for any given thing, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take a guess here, but there's many more wrong ways to do something than there is right ways. And so let's just pretend, for example, that there's 10 percent, you know, there's not just one way to do something, but there's 10 right ways. There's 90 wrong ways. If, If all we do is ask what we're doing wrong, we might miss a really important thing that we're doing right that we need to do over and over again. People might give us feedback to say, you know, hey, you know how you bought lunch for us once a month back when, but then you cut that out like that was really important. And maybe you thought, well, nobody cares about that. People don't come half the time. But when you ask people, they're like, you know, that was really important to us. That was that was really valuable. That helped us have a chance to connect. And of course, it was a free lunch, but it it, it produced so much more camaraderie. I I wish that you hadn't cut that out. Well, maybe I didn't even realize that that was an important thing. Or, you know, I think what happens a lot of times as leaders is is we forget the power of our words. We think that we're just, you know, I'm just me. I just woke up in the morning. I just brushed my teeth. But we have such influence we have such power. So sometimes that what do I need to keep doing question comes back in keep, keep encouraging me. You do such a great job of that, but it really puts wind in my sails. And for some of us, we wouldn't, we might've walked out of that conversation and say, I don't even remember encouraging that person, but it had a, it had a deep and meaningful impact for them. So I need to be conscious to, to continue to be encouraging in the way that they describe. So it's really important. I think to don't skip past the, what am I doing? Well, because sometimes we get surprised and we don't realize the impact that we're having. And so it's very efficient. It's very efficient to continue to do the things that are working well, thinking back to that thinking back to that 90, 10 pie. Sure,
2: sure. And actually it, it, it brought to my mind uh, an example that um, I, mean, I do a lot of work on LinkedIn, but I, I did a talk a year ago to a, a group of payroll managers and we were talking about the power of LinkedIn. And it's quite interesting and hopefully this, this story will make sense. It's very easy to reward staff for a job well done with a financial incentive, for example, or maybe a free lunch, as you mentioned. But actually, some of the free incentives, by doing something like a public shout out on LinkedIn, by saying something like, my team have been amazing to complete this project, I'm so proud of them, and making a public you know, affectionate um, statement like that can actually be just as rewarding, or even more morale-boosting than something like a free lunch, which has a you know a, a financial impact. But just that public statement of saying "well done" can actually ha- can go a lot, lot uh, an awful long way further. And it, it brought back to mind something my mum told me, being my mum into the podcast for the first time. <laughs> but she always said to me, "Remember, Nick, when you're growing up, you can never control how somebody else feels." So. I I may do something to my wife or to my colleagues or to the people that I manage, and I might have an assumption on how it will make them feel, but I can't control how they feel. And I think two of the things you've mentioned there are really, really powerful. And it's a really good reminder for me to remind myself and hopefully other people listening to this that actually, you know, if someone comes to you with critical feedback about how they're feeling, although you may not initially like that feedback, the reality is if that's how they feel, that's how they feel. And we can't address it or improve it unless we're willing to take that criticism on. So, um, sorry, it's just powerful statements for me to take on while you were talking. So I uh, thought I'd take it on. Well, listen, let's take take it to a, an organizational level. So a lot of brands uh, and the companies are really trying to improve the leadership capability within their businesses, certainly from a recruitment uh, perspective. The, the trends have changed. It used to be all about attracting top talent. Now it's about retaining top talent. It's about keeping employees engaged and looking after the employees that are performing within your business. So from your perspective, what's the most critical thing for organizations to understand about leadership to make sure that they are delivering strong leadership capability within their businesses?
0: Yeah, well, we'll go back to the research for this one. Uh, if, if three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do, I think it's imperative that senior executive teams and HR professionals alike take a look at the suite of activities that they're participating in from a leadership development perspective and say, how many of these are really about improving the who? How many of these are about becoming more inwardly sound and others focused? Because if we want to match up with the research, three quarters of our budget, three quarters of our time, three quarters of our energy should be going towards developing really well-developed who's because that's the most efficient way to grow and develop great leaders. Yet uh, you and I both know that that's not how money is standardly being spent because I don't think we've looked at this principle uh, clearly enough. So that's what I would say to people who say, hey, how do we have great leadership development? It begins with prioritizing what the research says and beginning to invest in those places much more so than what happens today
2: normally. Sure, now that makes, makes perfect sense.
1: Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. Shaping the future of human resources together. Final questions.
2: At the minute, of course, we're in the the midst of a global pandemic. I know you're based in Atlanta, I'm based here in Devon, and yet we're both suffering the same pandemic, terrible pandemic, that's that's really affected the world. And at the minute, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but we're certainly right in the midst of lockdown here in the UK at the moment. What challenges, you know, I mean, leaders are faced with challenges all the time, but at the minute, this is a particularly tough challenge and people have been thrust into a position where they're now leading people remotely, uh, perhaps they've never done that before, and it's, you know it comes with a whole new suite of difficulties and in certainly in relation to trust, people working from home when you can't see them. Um, so how would you recommend leaders you know adjust to the challenges they're faced with in the midst of sort of these these kind of uncertainties and these kind of challenges?
0: There are certain things within the realm of leadership that are always important, but then there are particular moments where they become even more important. And in the midst of the type of uncertainty that we're currently wrestling with, there are five things that really that really bubble to the surface. And you wouldn't—I'll list these five things. Nobody would say, "Oh, there's a time when those don't matter." But it becomes especially critical in this season. So I'll I'll say these five. Leaders, especially right now, in the midst of uncertainty, need to be clear. And I'm going to come back in a second and say a little bit more about what that means. But the other four leaders need to be flexible. Leaders need to be transparent. They need to be with their people and their people need to know that they're with them. And then finally, leaders need to be steady. And to bring those those five things in into great uncertainty is to really help to steady the ship. Um, but any one of those is missing and, and you're going to have some challenges when you're dealing with a lot of uncertainty. So um, can I say a few things more about the clear part? Yeah. Uh, Please do. Okay. Please do. <laughs> So maybe, maybe you wouldn't choose the word clear. Maybe you would say decisive. Maybe you would say definitive. But uh, there's a great teaching on this by an author named Andy Stanley, and he solved a problem for me a long time ago because my thought was I want to have integrity as a leader, but I don't know what's going to happen. So how do I lead people and have integrity when I can neither predict nor control the future? And certainly we're in a moment like that right now. And Andy said this, Andy separated, he said, you've you've got to separate the ideas of clarity and certainty. And then he went on to say, you can't control or predict what's going to happen, but you can be very clear about what you and your organization are going to do. And when you're clear about this is where we're heading, And you not only share what we're doing, but you share, you know, getting into some of Simon Sinek's work, you share why you're doing it say, this is where we're headed. This is why we're going there. And now you give people a confident path to go on. Even as you're saying, I don't know what's going to happen out there, but I know what we are going to do in here. This is what we're going to do. This is why and how we're going to do it. Now let's go. And now you give, now you you it's like unfreezing people we're no longer paralyzed we can go ahead and take steps forward not because you can provide certainty because you can't and if you tell your people that you can provide certainty when you can't you're lying to them and that over time that that's going to break down trust so don't pretend don't pretend that you can provide that but you can provide clarity and and then let's link that back for just a second to the who not what principle that we were talking about a second ago what is it? What enables a leader to be clear in the midst of uncertainty? Well, the first one I would say is you got to be courageous. You got to be courageous because you're making a choice. And yes, you might be wrong, but you have to have the courage to move forward rather than be paralyzed. So, courageousness, that's not a, uh, that's not, you're not going to read a book. About how to put courageousness together. That is a deep part of who we are as people. So it falls under the who category. There's also another piece in Inwardly Sound where we talk about what does it mean to, we talked about insecurity just briefly earlier. You know, if I am a secure and settled leader, that feeds into confidence. When I can say to myself, I'm okay, and come what may, I'm okay, uh, to quote a friend of mine, John Ott. Um, that brings confidence. And so now I'm showing up with courageousness and I'm showing up with confidence. And I apologize that all these things start with C. That was not my intention. (laughs) That That was not part of it. But that's just to paint a picture for people to understand ultimately, how do these things connect together? You can see if I'm courageous and I have confidence that comes out of being secure and settled, now I can be clear, now that gets us into, now. once I'm being clear, now we're talking about how to communicate effectively, now we're into the what of leadership, and you can see how who connects to what to make something work really well, and in this case, we're talking specifically in the midst of, you know, kind of difficult circumstances where things are really up in the air, so so that's an example of, of one thing that we really need to be in times like this, which is clear, and how who you are can make that work better.
2: No, I think you've articulated that brilliantly. And to use another C, you've made that crystal clear <laughs> There you go for all of us listening. Now, Interestingly, though, you referenced two or three people there that helped you on your journey. And earlier in the podcast, you referenced a, a few more right from the beginnings of your, your developmental journey. And you have, of course, the reason I referenced those is you recently released a book, which you've titled The Only Leaders Worth Following. Obviously, you have those leaders in your own mind that you follow and you've been referencing during the course of this podcast. So out of all the leaders that are out there, how do they Those listening to this podcast choose the leaders that they should be following? How do you know if a leader is even worth following? Is there a is there an algorithm, for example, we can use to (laughs) to dictate that?
0: Well, let's just start by saying it's difficult. So, you know, I don't want to put lipstick on a pig here and just pretend that it's something else. It's challenging, but it becomes more challenging. This is gonna sound strange. It becomes more challenging the more you focus on the things that matter. And what I mean by that is Kind of coming back to this idea of three quarters of of, of a leader 's effectiveness being about who they are, the question is how do I know who they are um, because frankly a forty five minute conversation it 's difficult to get to know who somebody really is, but one of the things that i that I realized in the midst of writing this book um, is that I'm really passionate about followers, not just about leaders. <laughs> and, and that's because I've been one. And, and, you know, everybody, all of us have been followers. And we understand the power that leaders have to make our lives really good or really bad. And so part of the reason the title of the book ended up being the only leaders worth following is because we wanted to do just that. We wanted to not only help leaders excel, but we wanted to help people who had the question you just asked, how do I know who to pick? Well, I want to give you a list of traits to look for. And admittedly, it's difficult to do when you're coming into an organization from the outside. But I personally think that it's very mature and completely within bounds in the midst of an interview. As somebody is interviewing you, I really want to encourage your listeners, interview the organization, interview the leader. Interview them as well. It's 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 they're gonna have an enormous impact on your life. You want to do the very best you can to understand. And if you were to ask an employer, hey, could I have a couple of could I have a, a conversation with a couple of folks who currently work for you? Because I want to understand what it's going to be like to be here to see if I'm a good fit for this. I know that that's a little bit bold. I know that's a little bit out there. And most people say, well, I'm trying to get the job. Well, yeah, you are trying to get the job, but do you want your life to be hell or do you want it to be good? And I think to take a little more proactivity in that interviewing process, to take a little more uh, investigation and to be looking for those who elements, not just the skills or accomplishments of leaders.
2: I love this because you're doing my job for me. You're preaching to the converted <laughs> as a recruiter. You're absolutely right. It's, every interview there, right, is a two-way process. It's not about one way. I had, a, I had a call. I won't reference who they were, but it was literally earlier today if they're listening. And, um, with an individual who has a great brand. And I said, one of the issues you probably had that they're struggling with a little bit of um, attrition problem at the minute. And I said, I think one of the problems you've had is every time someone interviews, you sell the best, you know, the brilliant things about your brand. And there are so many brilliant things about the brand, but what you're not telling them is actually what the day-to-day business is like, which is very manual. It's uh, you've got a lot of very challenging stakeholders, you're probably not as ahead of the curve in terms of tech as other businesses are, which you know, which means you're doing more of the mundane tasks than you probably want to be doing. But the truth is, if you're only talking about the, the greatness of the brand as you see it from a media perspective, that's great. And someone comes in bright-eyed, bushy-tailed on day one saying, I'm working for X. And then they go into this dark room with no windows. And they realize that actually it could you could be working for anyone. If you haven't given that message, if you haven't been honest yeah. with them, then you not, it's not going to be a surprise when that individual decides it's not for them, no matter how good the brand is. And it has to be a two has to be a two-way process. Are you is.
0: familiar with with the story of Ernest Shackleton Nick? No, uh, no, no, please do tell. It, it, well, it relates to this. So, so Shackleton um, was an explorer, and around the beginning of the of the 1900s, he was trying to make his way to the South Pole. And as the story goes, and it's been difficult to confirm this part of the story, but uh, you can imagine what exploring the South Pole might have been like 120 years ago. Not really comfortable. (laughs) Um, We didn't didn't exactly have the Gore-Tex available to us in order to stay warm and dry. So it's reported that what he did is he put an ad in the paper, and the ad went something like this. You're going to be cold. You're going to be miserable you're going to be hungry, you probably die. But if we succeed, great riches and fame, who's in? (laughs) And he had more people respond to the ad than he could have on his ship. And so he led with the worst. Um, And in fact, the riches and fame part were actually a far, that was like a line at the end that was very minor. He went into detail about how difficult this was going to be. And so he knew when people showed up, That at least, you know, at least the first hurdle had been cleared because he told them this was going to be really awful. And here they are. So I always I love that story in terms of uh, truth in advertising. What happens if we give people the real story from a from a recruitment standpoint?
2: Sure. And you know what? From my standpoint, it shows interest. It shows interest in the brand. It shows that, you know, I want to learn about you because I want to know why it's a great place to work. You know, what's kept you there for the last five years? You know, what is it you, why are you interviewing me? Why are you passionate about this company? I think they're all great questions. Um, so I'm really glad you raised it because it means I haven't had to, which is brilliant. <laughs> so taking things forward a little bit then. So how do you, I mean, you talked a little bit about, it's hard to find out who the the strong leaders are, but. You want to follow leaders who are well-developed, you know, inwardly aware, sound, others-focused people. But is there a way of determining who those people are, particularly if they're more public eye figures that we want to follow?
0: Well, I mean, the, the public figures are the public figures, and that doesn't mean to say that the more public they are, the more false it is. You just don't know. Because, I mean, what is social media if not let me tell you the best parts about me at all times. And we'll just, we don't need to talk about the ugly stuff. <laughs> we don't know if we don't need to talk about the stuff. So it's very dangerous to lean into, into those things. But I think, uh, you know, when you have a conversation with people who've been around that individual, who people have maybe even worked for that, that individual, you, you have to have a conversation that goes beyond skills you want to ask a question like, what is it like to work for this person? And then listen. And if you've got, you know, if you've got the list of, for example, you know, I've got the list of inwardly sound and others focus in front of me all the time. You're listening for humility. You're listening for empathy. You're listening for emotional maturity. You're listening for somebody who is, uh, is secure. And so, you know, a question to get into the security point is, would be to say, Hey, when, uh, as you're working for Mary, uh, how does she rep- how does she respond when somebody who works for her challenges her ideas? And then just be quiet. <laughs> you know, let them answer that because, like, maybe you're really wanting the job and you really want to work for the person. But this is just the opposite of the story you told a moment ago. If if the person who has the job is selling the best of the company all the time then, well, you've created a rosy uh, a rosy perspective that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we want the job so badly that we don't want to listen to what the downside might be. And we really have to discipline ourselves to be eyes wide open and say, you know what, every place is flawed, every leader is flawed. We're not looking for perfection, but I am looking for the real story. And so, you know, when they answer the question, well, here's what happens when, when Mary gets challenged. And then you know what the uh, the next statement you can make is: tell me more about that. <laughs> and you can you can begin to dig in around these things that are more about who this person is. So ask who based questions. Um, you certainly can't go off of things that you read in the newspaper or, or in social media, and be willing to ask some follow ups that maybe you wouldn't normally ask if you were just you know just it's that inner discipline is I want the job, I need the job, but. Um, man, leader, the leaders affect the quality of our lives. I mean, I think that's the, one of the points. It's not just the bottom line. They affect that. But they also determine, if you've worked for a horrible leader, you've been through this, you went home, and your family and friends, they got to deal with the fact that you were working for a horrible, horrible leader, because every day you had to figure out how you were going to survive the next day. Keep that in mind, and then be disciplined to do your research.
2: It's a great point because, you know, I'm into the stats as well, but albeit from a recruitment perspective. But the number one reason it's certainly in the payroll HR spaces that I specialize, the number one reason that employees want to change position isn't due to money. It isn't due to location. It isn't due to flexible working. It's due to the leadership. It's because they're not happy with the management they've got or they feel there's a ceiling or they're not they're not being led effectively. It's the number one reason for people changing jobs. So you want to make sure if you are making that move, absolutely, as you've just mentioned, that you're going to move towards a business that has a leadership uh, team or a leader that's going to inspire you and encourage you to meet your own growth uh, targets and own growth potential. So, you know, you, you've hit that absolute nail on the head from a recruitment perspective as well. And while we're on that, let's be honest. We're living in an era right now where employees want to feel more engaged at work. Companies want to provide better workplaces. I think we've come a long way. They want to retain their top talent. But with this shift in employee engagement focus by companies, what I'm quite interested to know is have you seen a shift in leadership style? Has that gone hand in hand, or is one a little bit behind the other?
0: Well, I think that it is shifting. And I think the important thing to understand is while we can look at trends, when we're looking at trends, we're looking at things that are acceptable in the time. When we're looking at principles, we're looking at things that were always true. And I think it's important to understand the difference. So I do think the trend of the times is to consider engagement more and how do we engage people. And if we were to go back, you know, 50, 60 years, that would have not been in vogue. But here's the thing. If we were to go back in time 50 years, do we really think that I wanted to work for a leader that was not going to engage me? You know, when when we look at uh, statistics around the baby boom and things like that, leaders didn't necessarily have to be as accommodating to the people they were leading, because if you didn't like it, just move on. There's somebody else who wants your job. And there are a number of things that come into effect, not just the demographic numbers of supply and demand, but also what's going on culturally, uh, what's going on uh, around the globe with regard to movement in a particular direction. Certainly, you know we're in this season right now where the issue of race has become uh, much more prevalent for so many people. And as, 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 as you see uh, those things that become um, more apparent in a given time, Just keep in mind that the principles of leadership don't shift. So I I think there is a shift that's going on kind of publicly at the the surface level, but didn't we always want to follow leaders who engaged us, whether the culture was moving that direction or not? Didn't I always want to follow a leader who was inwardly sound and others focused, whether that was what was currently the trend? So the trend does influence things, but there are some principles that stay the same.
2: I guess we're getting to the end of the podcast now, but there's a question that I want to ask, and you may not even agree with my initial statement, but ultimately, <laughs> I think that people get paid to solve problems, whatever those problems might be, whether you work in human resources, whether you work in payroll, whether you work in recruitment, or whatever it might be, people get paid to solve problems, which is why, as recruiters, I'm finding, particularly in the markets that I specialize, that it's the leaders who have been, have the most or built the most transferable skill sets that they're able to take along with them in their career journeys, they seem to be the ones that ultimately get to the top of their professions. So what I'd like to know is, this is just a trend that I've been seeing. I've been doing this for nearly 18 years. And I've, the people, I can spot it very early on. I can see someone at, a, at some administrative level who's already demonstrating some strong transferable skill sets. And I believe I can predict That they are, you know, whether they will or whether they won't make it to the top of their profession, often at that stage. So, what I would like to know is, do what do you think are the most important or the the key transferable softer skills, you know, within leadership that people should focus on developing within that leadership context? What's the most important ones they should be developing now if they want to get to the top of their career uh, trajectory, whatever that might be?
0: Okay, I'm I'm going to talk about three and admittedly you know at a certain level we've talked about the two big ones but these three fall into it so we've talked about inwardly sound and others focus if i were allowed to paint with a really broad brush i would go with those two because talk about transferable you know do you take who you are to the next opportunity every time is the answer and so if you have become a deeply inwardly sound and a deeply others focused person Then that's the person that's gonna that that person transfers right to the next leadership opportunity. But if I were to be a little more specific, I'll zero in on some places within the within those areas. So the first one I'm gonna talk about is empathy. Um, It's a little more in vogue right now, especially with what we going on. We mentioned the 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 racial tensions that are going on. Uh, I'm I've been pleased and surprised, frankly, to hear people talk about the necessity of empathy, and you know the. Empathy didn't become something valuable in the last month. (laughs) It's always been valuable, but right now people are seeing the greater need for it, but it will always serve you as a leader. If you are willing to do the emotional work, to connect with the reality of the people you're leading. It will pay off every time, so long as it's genuine. You can't do it to be manipulative because that's not real empathy. But if you really wanna connect with the reality, because frankly, when you're in the leader's chair, your reality is a little bit different than the people that you're leading. Uh, And it's important to keep that in mind. So to be an empathic leader would be something that I would say, put very high on the top of your list. Uh, The next thing I would say, actually is a is a characteristic that has a foot in both worlds of inwardly sound and others focus and that is emotionally mature if you can understand yourself emotionally and manage yourself emotionally and then begin to apply understanding and responding to the emotions of others in and add you know to adapt to that well if you're an emotionally mature leader you can navigate many things one of the things that we talk about with our clients often is I know that you see yourself as the strategic leader of the organization, and you are, but you've got to understand you're also the emotional leader of the organization. And in order to lead well, you've got to be emotionally mature, not just with regard to others, but with regard to yourself. So I would say the work that goes into becoming emotionally mature, emotionally mature is, is really critical. And then ultimately dropping down into a piece of inwardly sound, I would talk about something we've mentioned a couple of times, but not in depth here, is the idea of becoming a secure person. Um, insecurity is insidious in terms of its ability to absolutely torpedo good leadership. And so there's a, there's a few different ways to go about that. It's not easy. All the things I'm talking about here are long haul. I can't give you a pill or a magic bean that's going to make you any of these things overnight. But in terms of pursuing security and pursuing settledness, it has to do with working our perspectives. There are great things in the space of mindfulness that have a deep impact on our ability to be secure and settled leaders. And by the way, also impacts your ability to be emotionally mature. So mindfulness are great mindfulness practices that will help us be people who can say and kind of repeating it here from earlier. I'm OK and come what may, I'm OK. So there are a lot of things that can go into being a great leader, and the broad brush is inwardly really sounding others' focus. But if you want me to dive a little deeper and pick three, I would say empathic, emotionally mature, and secure and settled.
2: Fantastic! I've I've been as much as an avid listener today as I have been a podcast host. So, listen, we've come full circle, which I'm I'm really delighted about. Of course, anyone listening to this wants to find out more. I will be putting links in the episode notes to your book, which is called the um, title, The Only Leaders Worth Following. And of course, there'll be a link to your website, theapirio.com. I'll put that in the episode notes as well, particularly for those interested in finding out more about Tim, but also the who, not what principle. It's a great website. There's loads of links. You can find out a lot more information about Tim's work there as well. But I wanted to say a huge thank you, Tim. It's been a fascinating uh, podcast. I've learned a lot myself. I definitely need to be more aware of my own, uh, my own leadership uh, skills, I think I probably need to be a little bit more inwardly sound and others focus. I'd like to think I already am. But I think we can always take an additional step. And it's you know what, it's been a really good journey for me just listening to you for the last hour to take a step back. And whilst listening, reevaluating some of my own leadership practices. And if if, if you've done that for other people listening to this today, then to help the people listening become better leaders themselves, then I think that's a, that's a great outcome for today. So thank you so much for joining me today on the, uh, the paper podcast.
0: Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. It is the uh, passion of my vocation to get to talk about these ideas because leadership makes such a big difference for people, both the bottom line, but the quality of life. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about it.
2: Absolute pleasure. And that, that wraps us up. So thanks ever so much for listening to us again. And I'll be joining you all again in a couple of weeks.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist, HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.